If you will, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of uh, Colossians chapter 2. Um, a while back, a pastor told me that if I would start writing down my sermon notes, that, um, that they'd stay with me and I wouldn't forget them. Well, we're going to put that to the test this morning because as I was looking through my notebook a while ago, I realized that I grabbed pages 1, 2, 3, and 4 of my sermon notes, and then I grabbed Teresa and Eric's vows. So... <laughs> This sermon could get interesting, that's all I'm going to say. We will either have a very short sermon and have part two next week, or, dear Lord, please give me the memory to remember this sermon. But honestly, um, before we get into that, guys, <laughs> I told you, I, I tried to get out of my van with the seatbelt on this morning. What's wrong with me? Wow. Over the last couple of days, I want to say something. Now, y'all been, uh, um, this church has been a real shot in the arm to me in a good way. Um, starting Thursday, um, Thursday morning, we started setting up for our veterans banquet. And um, I got here um, and I kept hearing all this clatter going on upstairs. And I walk upstairs and I have never seen that number of volunteers to help set up for veterans banquet. I mean, it was just absolutely amazing the number of people who showed up. Um, usually it takes us two days to get it set up and buy lunch. I mean, there was just finishing touches with decorating done. It just amazed me. On Friday, I come in and start smelling all the good smells, start smelling all the food cooking, go upstairs, hear laughter in the kitchen, which is unusual if you've been around our kitchen much. It's not usually a place of laughter. It's usually a place of get out of my way and stuff like that. It's a very small kitchen, but it was just refreshing. And then yesterday, to watch many of you come out and to honor our veterans. Yesterday was such a blessing. We got to honor three World War II veterans. That's amazing, guys. That's honestly amazing. Um, 90 other veterans along with them. Yeah, our numbers were down a little bit from last year, but at the same time, yesterday was just a great time, and it was very encouraging. It was very encouraging for me as your pastor to see you love on our community. And as I'm sitting there and I'm watching us love on our community, love on people who um, are not even members of Harmony Grove, some who don't even know Jesus Christ, this question came to me yesterday, and it's one that we really need to talk about for a while. The question is, do we have the same love that we have for our community? Do we have that same love for his church? Now, guys, don't get me wrong. We show our love to our community because out of the overflow of the love that we have. But sometimes it's harder to love the people that you're closer to. You don't believe me? Thanksgiving's coming up. Your family's coming over. Let's see how that works. <laughs> but when I'm talking about do we have that same love for his church, I want you to understand, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not even talking about this specific assembly. When I say, do you have that same love for his church, I am talking about his ecclesia, his gathered saints, his called out ones, the ones that he gave his life for. Now, a lot of things come to mind when I say, do you love his church? And I'm sure some of you, man, I love our worship here. I absolutely love coming in, hearing the choir do what they're doing. And I'm going to tell you this morning, guys, y'all did a phenomenal job. 
I love coming into Sunday school. I love hearing the teaching. I love hearing people come together and talk about his words. I even love our location. This week, I sit and looked at the mountains in our backyard over here, and I'm just amazed by the location we have. But that's not what I'm talking about when I say, do we love his church? Because a lot of times we'll come back with, yes, yeah, Scotty, I love my church. I love my church. No, do you love his church? Do you love his church? Regardless of the denomination, do you love his church? Regardless of the worship style, do you love his church? Regardless of the style of teaching, do you love his church? Regardless of any thoughts, opinions, what may come about, do you love his church? Because this is a love that Paul greatly had for his church, Jesus' church, that is. And that's specifically what Paul's writing about here in Colossians chapter 2. In verses 1 through 7, I want you to read it with me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf for those who are at Laodicea and for those who I have not personally seen, have, have per, not personally seen my face that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knitted together in love and attaining to <coughs> sorry, all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. And I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Father, I am thankful this morning for all that you continued to do for us. I am thankful for this morning, Lord, for just the blessing of being able to be here with this gathered group of saints. But Father, at the same time as I read this word, there's a lot of conflict that comes up in me. There's a lot of conflict that comes up in the world today when we talk about church. And what saddens my heart even more, Lord, is it's not a conflict of the world and the church. It's a conflict of what's happening in church. This morning, Lord, I pray that we would have the same heart as Paul. I pray that as we look in and dig into this word, Lord, that we would see our own faults and our own weaknesses and that we would, Lord, struggle together for the sake of your gospel and for the sake of building each other up. Lord, again, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand 
the word that is being brought before us this morning, Lord. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Paul's writing this letter, and I know I've talked, said this two times already, but Paul is writing this letter to a group of people that he has never seen. He's writing this letter to a group of people that he's never met. Matter of fact, in this one he calls out, he actually acknowledges two churches. Not the, only the church in Colossae, but also the church of Laodicea. We'll be talking a little bit more about Laodicea next week. But he specifically draws attention to these churches, and he lets them know something. He lets them know his heart for them. He says, I want you to be full aware of the great struggle that I have on your behalf. Now, when it comes to the church history, struggle is something that's not absent. The only problem is the struggle that Paul is talking about here is completely different from the struggle that many of us have. Paul is struggling on the behalf of of the people and let's just be real most of us just struggle with the people most of us just have struggles with one another on a lot of them there's some good grounds on them but some of it some of it's just just point blank childish over the years it seems like my struggles with people has become more and more evident Matter of fact, the other day, I realized a whole other group of people that I have struggles with. My new struggle is with the person who runs self-checkout at any store. You know what I'm talking about? The Easton, yeah. My struggle's with you, brother. (laughs) First, you go up to self-checkout. Why do you go up to self-checkout? Because nobody's there. It'd be easy. It'd be quick. But you go up to self-checkout and you're sitting there and you start by scanning all your items. You ever have that one item that doesn't scan? Well, here comes, I'm going to use you for a reference this time, okay? Here comes Easton. Let me help you with that. We need a price check on all four. Honestly, though, this cursing comes up behind you like you don't know what you're doing. And honestly, we don't know what we're doing. We're not trained for that job. We didn't go for that job. We come to buy groceries. But that person sits there and they watch you. Have you noticed that? You ever feel like they're watching you? They got your eyes on you. They're wanting to make sure that you don't steal something. And now they've got these cameras set up. So my problem's not just with the person my problem is also with the camera I was at Walmart scanned a box of water the other day and put it back in the buggy and you would have thought I stole the world this whole camera system comes up right in front of me shows me everything that I do the person who's watching over my back has to come over make sure that I didn't steal anything before it would proceed to go on well what's even worse now is um you ever have one of those moments when your card doesn't work you know what I'm talking about? I was at another store the other day. Card didn't work. So, of course, the guy who knows everything comes up behind me and says, Sir, let me see your card. I'm sitting there reading the screen, and it says, Call your credit card company as soon as possible. So he proceeds to get my card, cancels everything out, slits it in. 
Same thing comes up on the screen. He cancels it out again, swaps it this time. Same thing comes on the screen. Cancels out the screen, and he does something, and I'm just sitting back and watching at this point. I'm just like, go at it, dude. He takes my card, and he does this number. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Swipes it again. Same thing comes on the screen. Then he looks at my card and he goes. <laughs> Same thing comes up on the screen. Then he tries to hand me my card back. No, you can keep that one. We're canceling that one. We'll get a new one. You don't worry about that. That one's on you. But it's funny how we have these little conflicts with people, and we have new conflicts that come up on a daily basis. My conflict with the self-checkout people, Easton, I love you. I love you, brother. Come swipe my groceries for me next time. Don't make me do that. But my little struggle with that is nothing different than a lot of the struggles that we have in church. We struggle with people. Paul is being clear. He struggles for people. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. And I want us to see what Paul is talking about here when he talks about his struggle for the church. It's a love that's so great for the people of Colossiae that he himself is willing to endure horrible hardship. And still... He struggles for them. Look what he says there in verse 2. He says, He struggles so that their heart may be encouraged. When we struggle with people, when we struggle with each other, let's be real. Is our heart really concerned about encouraging the other person? No. When we're struggling with people, normally we have one thought and one thought only in mind. I have got to get them to see my way. I have got to get them to understand the view that I'm coming from. This is a struggle with people. This is a struggle inside the church that we see on a daily basis. But what Paul's saying here is his heart is that they may be encouraged, not discouraged. He also goes on to say he prays or he struggles that they may be knitted together in love. I want you to do me a favor. Look to your left. Nobody over there. Some of y'all is there. <laughs> Who'd you see, Jim? Okay. He saw Jesus. Oh, there is somebody. <laughs> Look to your right. Look behind you. Look in front of you. Now I want you to be honest with me. Do you love everybody here? Don't lie. Don't do it. Do you genuinely love everybody here? I didn't say do you like everybody. Okay, my wife, she loves me. Many days she doesn't like me, but she still loves me. She loves me. She has a genuine love for me that comes from deep within. And this love is something that knitted me and her together almost 14 years ago. Do you know that, baby? 
I got my clock going down. I got my clock going down because I don't want to miss our anniversary again. Um, regardless. But 14 years ago, there was a love that knitted us together. And it's a love that really, it has grown. It has grown astronomically. She had to learn to love me. But at the same time, this is the same love that we should have for each other. A lot of people say, well, that's just an arouse love. No, it's a phileo love too. And let me help you understand. I was privileged to be able to marry one of my best friends. Me and Jennifer got to know each other a long time ago. We were asking each other a while ago. We were talking about dating in Sunday school. And I asked her if our first date was awkward. She said, no, it wasn't. Yes, it was. It's supposed to be a double date. We got stood up. She asked me. I didn't ask her. There's a lot of awkwardness to this date. But over the years, I have grown in love with her to such an extent that I can't imagine my life without her. But this is the same love that we should also have for each other. Our love for each other should be so intertwined, so knitted together, that honestly, if one of us were to go missing, something would be out of place. So let me ask you that question again. Do you love the people around you? Do you realize how you're knitted together? Because this was Paul's heart. Love doesn't focus on difference. It focuses on the relationship. But he also prays and struggles on their behalf that they would have full assurance. Full assurance. You know what assurance is? Assurance is security. Assurance is having security in something. Knowing that it is going to be there no matter what. But what's he talking about the full insurance to be in? Is he talking about it to be in the church? No. He said, goes on to says that they would have full assurance in who Jesus is. Because if they have full insurance of who Jesus is, then all these other things, all these other struggles, all these other little things that are going up in their life, they'll be minimal. They'll be nothing. Many of you know it. I pray meet and pray on Tuesday mornings with pastors of all denominations. We've come together under one banner. We're going to agree on this, that salvation is through Christ alone. And that's what we're hanging our hat on. And it's funny, we have, we have confrontational discussions. We talk about infant baptism. We talk about Calvinism. We talk about Arminianism. And I know I've lost some of you on these. But regardless of all these things, because all of us have different views all of us have these different, different thoughts. Some people call them doctrines. They're really opinions. That's all they are. Our view of how we view the Bible. We have full assurance on this and this alone. On who we are saved through. We are saved through Christ Jesus. And he prays and struggles on behalf of all the churches for these three things. You know what gets me though? How does he struggle on their behalf when he's not even in their presence? 
Why don't you think about that for a minute? How does he struggle on their behalf when he's not even in their presence? Two times he makes it clear. Verse 1, he says, those who have not seen my face. In verse 4, he goes on to say, those are um, the ones that I have, even though I'm not in your presence, I am with you in spirit. So how do you struggle with individuals when you are not in their presence? Through prayer. Through prayer. This is how Paul struggled on the behalf of many churches, even when he wasn't in their presence. He had such a heart for these congregations, such a heart for these cities, such a heart for the lost, that every thought, every moment of his prayer was geared towards them. What does your prayer look like? Honestly. What does your prayer look like? Jesus, I really need to pass this test. Jesus, I really need help with this individual at work. Jesus, I really need you to help me get this promotion. Jesus, I really need you to help me get out of debt. Jesus, I really need you to help me with this or that. Did Paul's prayer look anything like that? No. Paul's prayer is a struggle on behalf of the church. I want to ask you a question. Do you struggle on behalf of the church or do you just struggle with the church? Do you truly struggle on behalf of the church or do you just struggle with the church? Because a lot of times, I'm going to be honest with you, my struggles are not on behalf of the church. My struggles are, like I said in the beginning, with the people in the church. And you know what that tells me? That tells me my heart is nowhere geared to what Paul's saying here. And I just got to ask myself the question. Don't need them no more. I just got to ask myself a question. Why is my heart not in that same area? And you know what I think it really is? I think it all comes down to some Old Testament facts. I think that many of us have what I call a Jacob complex. Who remembers the story of Jacob? Jacob had a brother. What was his brother's name? Esau. When Jacob was born, what was he doing? Hanging on to his brother's ankle, trying to pull him back. No, not you, me first. That's what that was all about. Later on in life, Jacob knows that his brother has the birthright, which means he had the inheritance of everything that his father ha had. Jacob wanted that for himself. So he takes some goat skin, puts it on his arm, wallows around in the dirt, gets his mom in on a scheme, 
pretty crooked thing. And he deceives his dad. In that deception, he gets Jacob's or Esau's birthright. You know what the word Jacob means? Deceiver. Deceiver. It's going to be very important here in a minute. His name means deceiver. Later on in life, Jacob and Esau split ways, of course. If you steal something from your brother, you're naturally going to split ways. Esau goes one way, Jacob goes another, but really, Jacob was always in fear of his brother Esau because his brother wanted to kill him. Rightly so. Jacob goes and he finds this man by the name of Laban. Happens to be some of his family. And Laban has a daughter. Who knows what the daughter's name was? Rachel. Somebody said it right. And Rachel was very, very beautiful. Extremely beautiful. And more than anything in the world, Jacob wanted Rachel. So he made an agreement with Laban. In that agreement, he agreed to work seven years for Laban. And after seven years, he would be repaid with a wife. So, Jacob worked seven years. And Laban, in a way, held to his word, but not clearly. He gave him a wife, but he gave him Leah, who was the oldest. Jacob was outraged. He had it set in his mind what he wanted. What did he want? He wanted Rachel. So, he agrees to work another seven years. I'm, I'm just wondering if the boy's a glutton for punishment, honestly. Two wives who are sisters? Does this sound like fun to you? No, uh-uh. But regardless, he does what he's supposed to do. He gets Rachel, and then this argument starts between Laban, Laban's sons and Jacob. Jacob gets everything. He doesn't just get the wives. He gets everything. And a conflict breaks out between Laban's sons and Jacob. So Jacob takes his wives, takes all their possessions, and leaves in fear of his life. The only problem is, is when he leaves, he has to pass through a country. A country that is owned and occupied by a group of people that he deceived a long time ago. Esau's land. So, what does he do? Does he start thinking about smoothing things over with Esau? No, he just tries to continue to save his own honey. Starts sending all these presents Esau's way in hopes that it would soften his heart. Goes to bed that night, thinks it's going to peaceful, be a peaceful night, and lo and behold, somebody shows up. Scripture says it in different ways. Some say it's an angel. Some say it's God. Regardless, here's what happened. From sundown to sunup, Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob got into an all-out brawl with God. 
And it got so heated to one point, or so defensive to one point. Angel, God, whatever. Touched Jacob's hip. Knocked it out of socket. Jacob cries out, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go till you bless me. So the blessing happens. And he says, from now on, from now on, you will be called Israel. Anybody know what Israel means? Wrestle with God. Why is this significant? Jacob's problem was always a self-centered problem. He wasn't thinking about everybody else. Jacob was always thinking about himself. He was a deceiver. He did everything he could to advance himself, and he was never worried about how it affected the ones around him. You ever thought about this? Did Jacob worry how that was going to affect his mom's relationship and his dad's relationship? No. Did he worry about how that was going to affect his mom's relationship and his brother's relationship? No. Did he worry about how that was going to affect his wife's relationship with, his, with their father's relationship? Absolutely not. It was always about Jacob. That's why we struggle in the church today. Because we have a Jacob complex. It's all about us. What we want. What we like the music we like to hear, the style of preaching that we like to have, the teaching we like to have, all the way down to the Bible translation, the time that we do it, the temperature of the room, the color of the carpet, pews padded, pews unpadded, chairs, pews. It's all about preference. And that is why we have struggle in the church and not struggle for the church. Paul had an encounter very similar. An account that's extremely similar to Jacob. Saul is traveling down a road. And all of a sudden, Jesus encounters Saul. And they have a face-to-face argument. Face-to-face discussion, whatever you want to call it. And Saul professes him as Lord. And what does God do to Saul? Say again. Causes him to be blind. But he also did something else. He changed his name. Jacob had his name changed. But his heart had to be changed first. Paul had his heart her had his name changed, but his heart had to be changed first. And how was this change taking place? By wrestling with God. It's not something we talk about much, is it? Wrestling with God. I want to ask you a question, though. Have you ever wrestled with God to the point that your name was changed? 
Have you ever wrestled to the point with God that your heart was changed? Have you ever got down in the ditches, and I'm talking about down low as you can, gripping with everything that is in you, pouring your heart out to God with everything that you're dealing with, got down in the dirt and wrestled with God? Most of us haven't. Most of us haven't. And that's why most of us are still focused on ourselves. I want to ask you a question. Do you truly struggle in your prayer? Or do we just struggle to pray? Do we truly struggle in our prayer? Or do we just struggle to pray? We say it all the time. Sarah, I'll pray for you. Hope, I'll pray for you. Jennifer, I'll pray for you, if I remember. But when it comes down to it, we don't really get into the struggle. We don't get into the part where our heart's so grieved for each other because we want the best for each other. We want each other to know, to know those three simple things. We want each other to know that we are knitted together in love. We want each other to know the full assurance of who Jesus is. But that's not our prayer, is it? It's not our prayer. And guys, i got to ask this. If that's not our prayer on a daily basis, can we say we really love the church? We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. I was about to smack Ricky about two or three times because he was digging into this. But if I was her husband, on Sunday and Wednesday, and Sunday and Wednesday only. How would that go? Anyone? How would it go? Not too good. Why? Because there's no relationship there. And I'm not just talking about your relationship with God. I'm talking about your relationship with each other. If your relationship with each other is only on Sunday and Wednesday, honestly, how deep is that relationship? And if that's as shallow as your relationship is, answer me this question. Do you really love his church? Because if you really love his church, you're not going to struggle with his church. You're going to struggle on behalf of his church. And when you struggle on behalf of his church, you know what you're not thinking of? Your own interests. Tommy, if you will. So why is this important? The title of this series through Colossians is called Why Jesus? 
And I think we minimize the struggles that Jesus had for his church. I think we minimize the part, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, we all learned it, it's the first one we learned, Jesus wept. But why did Jesus weep? Because he looked over the city of Jerusalem and saw a lost, degenerate people. His heart broke for the people. When he's doing, when he's saying his prayer in Golgotha, the priestly prayer, he says some things that, that just really struck, stick with me hard. Because he doesn't pray just on behalf of the disciples. Who else does he pray for? He prays for the ones that will come to know Jesus by their testimony. You know who Jesus was praying for? He's praying for you. He's praying for me. But even when it got to the real meat of that prayer, God, if there's any way, any way other than this, Please let this cup pass by me. You know what we miss? The first time Jesus prays that, he goes and checks on the disciples right after he prays that. They're asleep. He comes back, prays the same thing again, but what does he follow it up with? Not my will, God, but your will be done. Jesus struggled on behalf of his church. We are called to be his disciples. Are we willing to struggle on behalf of each other? Father, in a world of self-centeredness, in a world of... too many false teachings we come to you this morning asking that you would do what only you can do in our hearts Father I pray that this morning would be a morning where all of us wrestle with God to where we all ask ourselves are we struggling with the church or on behalf of the church that we would Lord that we would get down, that we would get down in the dirt and wrestle with you, Lord, so that you could not only change our hearts, but that you could also change our minds. Father, we love you, and we need you to do what only you can do in us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you will, I'll stand. I'll tell you something about wrestling. I have not known much about wrestling until this year. Jim, watching him from a standpoint, from afar off with some of our middle schoolers and high schoolers, I've learned a lot about wrestling. But you know the one thing I learned about wrestling? When you're wrestling with somebody, you get to really know them. You get to know their smell. You get their sweat all over you the two of you are closer at that moment than you'll ever be I want to ask you a question when was the last time you wrestled with God like that to the point that you really know him
to the point that you smell him, to the point that you can feel him. If it's been a while, this morning I'm giving you the opportunity. Here in the altar, where you're at, or even online, take this time to wrestle with God.